Let's pray. Loving God, Paul has such lofty ideas and sometimes words that we are not familiar with. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the the core message that is in this text of scripture. That we might be open to you and transformed by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul's writing to the Ephesians and there's quite a grand vision. I don't know if you captured it. Uh, Theories of everything, they go in and out of vogue, but Paul has a theory of everything and it's Jesus. It's a very simple theory in that extent. But he says, so that he might uh, make the two, those two who are fighting with each other, come into one. In Christ there is the opportunity for peace. So, Paul is giving us a statement about peace, the very thing in our world today we would love to know the answer to, wouldn't we? I mean, there's a demonstration taking place right now, I think, in the centre of Sydney, and you've got people who are for one thing and people who are for another thing and then a bunch of people who wear uniforms to make sure those two people for different things don't hurt each other or wreck the place. We don't know how to do peace very well, I don't think. And I think that starts quite early in our lives. Now, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey and uh, I hope you can come with me on this because I think the us and them thing that we all engage in is kind of almost intrinsic to our human nature. And this is why I think that's the case because differentiation, deciding that I am me and you are you, is actually a developmental task that we do as we grow up. We start as little babies and at first we kind of have this sense, as far as we can tell from interviews with babies, that um, you know the baby kind of feels like they're one with their mother. They're not entirely sure where they start and finish and where the mother starts and finishes. But as they grow, they, they start to realise, oh, usually at weaning, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hungry and the food isn't instantly here. Hang on, the system's breaking down. Uh, oh, another person has to bring that to me. And I think that's the beginning of differentiation. And it goes on through our lives. Uh, at teenage stage, there's that sort of emotional differentiation. You know how teenagers often get very rebellious? And they're flexing their individuality and trying to work out where they're parents' ideologies and thinking and stuff starts and finish and where they stand. And there's a a bit of confusion in that process often. That's all ahead for me. My girls are still quite young. This process of differentiation is incomplete for many people. Uh, It gets disrupted sometimes. Many people uh, don't effectively work out who they are. And I think that in many ways it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? Working out who you are and some might say, well, it doesn't really matter who I am. But I think at one level we need to have a sense of who we are. Um, We observe it particularly in relation to parents. I don't know, everybody's different, but when I was a young man, some many years ago, uh, I knew that whenever I met a new girl and I was really keen on a new girl, 
I would have to wait until my mother had met the new girl and then later I would have a conversation with my mother and all this happened subconsciously. I didn't know I was doing it. And I'd say to mum, you know, so what did you think of so-and-so? And whatever she said was really, really important. Now, parents can be wise, so I'm not saying you should disregard what your parents say, but for me it was like, if my mum likes her, it's okay. If my mum doesn't like her, she's out. And I didn't even know I was doing it because I hadn't completely differentiated from my mum in that sense, in that, in that way. This can move into all sorts of other relationships as well and peer groups and all sorts of things like that. And sometimes what we do, because we haven't properly differentiated, we externalise the differentiation. So differentiation is a thing that happens inside of us. We get a sense of who we are. I am not you. I am me. This is what I think and I feel and I desire. These are my goals and my views. It sounds very individualistic and to some extent it is. When we don't do that part of the journey well, we will often outsource it or push it out in an, in an external kind of way. Uh, so instead of working out who we are, we draw on our peer group to help us. So I'm of that group. I'm of. So you'll have people demonstrating today. They'll have those who are anti-something and those who are pro-something. And being part of those tribes helps with a sense of personal identity. You might see a more uh, obvious example in football teams. So people follow football teams and they wear the colours and they have an identity in it. An identity that's so strong in some places that, you know, in the UK they had to bring in special laws to stop people killing each other at football matches. Now, you don't kill somebody over a game. So somehow the game became more important than a game, it became about identity. And in all sorts of subtle and not so subtle ways, we do this where because of our uncertainty about who we are and our outsourcing of that process, it all becomes very important and a bit clunky and clumsy and people can get hurt. Are you following me so far? Yeah? Okay. Nationalism might be another expression of this, same kind of dynamic. And I wonder if uh, some of our more recent uh, leaders and their pronouncements about whose side are you on kind of stuff, which I just think is so childish for a leader to be using, but it's resonated with large parts of the population. And I wonder if those people are people who are still in that journey of working out who they are. And so they want a side to be on to make them feel safer and stronger and help them to know who they are. So, differentiation. And there's all sorts of markers we use for differentiation and in this case, as Paul writes, he's talking about the markers differentiating the people of Israel. What were those markers? The law and circumcision, particularly if you're a man. And it's interesting because Paul even puts a little parenthesis around circumcision to say that thing that's done in the flesh by human beings, i.e. it really isn't 
essential to the person or to God. It's, some people do, it's like getting an earring, you know? It's an external marker. It's not of the essence of it. Now, you could argue that there are aspects of the law that convey something of the values of God's kingdom. I would argue that. I think that that's exactly the case. But the law and circumcision, by the time Jesus was walking around Palestine, had primarily become markers of identity. They were not functioning as signposts to a way of life or relationship with God. They were telling you who's in and who's not in. That's how it was functioning at that stage. And they had the police, the the Pharisees as it were, who policed who was in and who was not in according to the rules. They were markers. They weren't telling anybody much about the kingdom at that stage. If you wanted to become one of them, you had to get circumcised and keep the law and then you could be in. A marker. We see that when Jesus arrived, the law had become so identity-oriented that people had no working idea of what it was actually for other than that, really. And that's why I think Jesus was so harsh on it. And the Pharisees, who were so close to being kind of righteous, he was the hardest on because they'd really mixed that up. Now, whatever makes you different can be your marker. Like I say, football teams have colours, Uh, nations have their flags, Uh, bikers have their patches on their backs and so forth, gangs have their tags. Uh, These are the ways we differentiate ourselves and uh, there's often a shadowy side to some of those things as well. But they tend to be quite arbitrary external things which are trying to do a task of... uh, something that's internal and in fact often they mark the fact that we don't know or accept ourselves very well at all. When there are aspects of ourself that we cannot accept we will react in those, we'll react to those things in other people. So if I see someone and I think that they're a hypocrite and I have a really strong reaction to their hypocrisy, part of that strong reaction is that I know I'm a hypocrite too but I don't want to know that I'm a hypocrite and so I don't want you standing there being a hypocrite that reminds me of hypocrisy and raises something that I'm uncomfortable with. Now you might think, hang on Dave, that's, that's a bit tricky. You go, But think about it for a moment. If I know I'm a hypocrite and let me tell you I am, because a hypocrite is someone who acts. Hypocrites is the actor, not being fully authentic all the time. We're all hypocrites. And it's not just the church, it's in politics and the supermarket and everywhere. But if I know I'm a hypocrite and I encounter someone who's a hypocrite, rather than reacting to their hypocrisy, I might go, yeah, I know about that. I know just how that works. And it's a bondage. And it's a a sense of lack of integration and that's really sad. But I won't have the angry reaction is this, you're a hypocrite like I'm not. There'll be a much more empathic understanding that goes on. Now, that's not to say that being a hypocrite is a good thing to be, 
But anybody who is one and knows that they are one knows that it's not a good thing to be because it's actually an expression of our lack of acceptance of ourselves and so we have to pretend to be something else. It's actually a very sad place to be. And we can be all self-righteous about others but actually if we understand ourselves and accept it in ourselves then we have an opportunity to be compassionate in the other. Have I made that argument? What do you think? Mm. Okay, good. You're doing very well. Thank you. (laughs) So often our reaction is to identify the person who's not us, the other, and to reject them for some reason. So there's a demonstration happening up here and there's some people who want to reclaim Australia. Apparently they've lost it and they want to reclaim it. I'm not sure who, who got here first and who has the claim and all those questions are not even entered into because what they're saying is we want everybody to be part of our club to do it our way, to obey our culture and anyone who's different, you're out. That's what they're saying. And, and they're not even thinking about it really because they'll look around and see all sorts of differences in that culture Is there one specific kind of thing that they're trying to get out? Well, some people will have one specific thing, but the person next to them will have another alternate specific thing. So, you know, it's it's all very mucky and messy. But often our reaction is to reject the other because we can't accept the differences that are within ourselves. We are complex people, are we not? I don't know about you, I've lived for just over 50 years and I'm still discovering things about myself, things that actually as I discover them I realise I have kind of always known but not accepted. And the journey of self-acceptance is a liberating thing because only as you accept something can you actually change it if you don't like it. Rejecting it disempowers you. It holds it away from you as if it doesn't exist when in fact it does exist. So acceptance is a very critical move and that's where Jesus is our peace. Because Jesus comes in and by the role he plays, being condemned by the law as it were, and by the the civic authorities, so condemned by the religious, condemned by the civic authorities, abandoned by his friends, rejected utterly by all, and then proven to be the risen Messiah, God in the flesh, it's kind of turned everything upside down. All the markers we would use to say what's acceptable and unacceptable, what's in and what's out, get exploded because all our markers excluded God. That's what our markers do, they exclude. And Jesus becomes our peace because he says, come, follow me, you're forgiven and in that forgiveness is the opportunity for acceptance. Now that doesn't mean anything goes. I think there's people that kind of get scared at this point and go, but too much grace, isn't that a dangerous thing? And at a certain level it certainly is because it disrupts all the organisational systems that we have because grace is going beyond the rule. 
beyond the culture, beyond, and it can be quite a disruptive thing, but it has to do with acceptance, which is a very consolidating, integrating thing. So what Jesus does is he exposes the law as that which does not bring about righteousness. So the law actually led to people deciding to murder Jesus, like he'd broken it and da-da-da, so they, they killed him. At best, the law can work as a litmus to, to show us if righteousness is about, because if you're actually fulfilling the law from your heart, then the law will kind of indicate you're on the right track. But it can't transform the heart. It's a diagnostic rather than an empowering thing. And Jesus reveals our shared humanity. Jesus shows us that the things that differentiate us are superficial things, even when it comes to the law and circumcision, the very things that would differentiate the people of God. Is there any more important markers of differentiation? I don't think for the Jew there is. And Jesus would say, oh, well, circumcision, that, well, Paul says, circumcision that thing done to the body by human beings. It's just almost a throwaway line, but do you hear it? It's like, it's not, it's not essential to what we're talking about here. And abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Doing away with those markers because those markers did away with him, but he rose and they fell. And so there is a freedom in that. We are, hold on to your, hold on to your seats for a moment, we are essentially the same. You know, Paul says there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. We share something in our humanity that makes us the same. And that's a scary prospect for people who haven't worked out who they are. Because it's like, do you ever see The Incredibles? It's a great film animation. Yep. Remember the young guy who wants to be like Mr. Incredible? And Mr. Incredible says to him, you know, we're all superheroes in our own way. And he says, saying that we're all special is like saying none of us is special. Because once we're all the same, we're all the same. And it's threatening unless you know who you are and you bring who you are and you see who the other is and you relate because you understand I'm like them. I'm not the same as them identically, but I, you know, we share something that is so much more than what differentiates us and makes us different in one sense. This is the whole point, I think, at one sense. The law and the prophets all pointed to this all the way along, but it gets distorted because we needed it to do something else. The hints are in the narrative throughout the Old and New Testament. Do you remember Melchizedek? He was the, the priest that came out very early. I think it's in uh, Genesis, maybe. Yeah, in Genesis. And he's not a Jew, he is this priest of righteousness, the king of righteousness, uh, Melech, king, Zedek, righteousness. He's a king of righteousness. He's not a Jew. He comes and he blesses 
and pronounces stuff. Hang on a minute, he's from outside the camp. What's going on there? A bit later on, the Exodus community that come out of Egypt. There's one line that says, and they were a mixed community. Egyptians went too. Some Egyptians went, I'm not sticking around here. Those guys are onto something. I'm going with them. And they came out a mixed company. Those from the tribes and those from outside the tribe. Hang on a minute, there's outsiders coming in here. Rahab, do you remember Rahab? She was a harlot. All the men remember Rahab. All the women don't like her. No, she was, she was at um, Jericho. When they came to take Jericho, she let the Jewish soldiers in through a window or something. I can't remember all the details. I didn't read it last night, but I remember it was... She did something heroic in identifying that these are the people of God and her faith. She's even mentioned in Hebrews, the list of faithful people in Hebrews. She wasn't a Jew. Ruth, one of the forebears of David and then Jesus, not a Jew, a Moabitess. And it goes on. Um, we, we hear the story of Jonah and Nineveh, a city of unrighteous people. And God's speaking to them and they're responding. Cyrus, the king of Persia, who fulfills the prophecies that are in Isaiah. The wise men who came when Jesus was born, none of them Jewish. None of them of the people of God. They were reading the stars. Don't suggest you do that with the herald these days. The Syrophoenician woman in the Gospel, again and again, there's all these outsiders who are welcomed in as people of faith. It's in the text. The acceptance. He's broken down the dividing wall to make one new humanity. Not an ubermensch like the philosophers of old might have spoken about, some great you know, humanity, but we are one Humanity. We might have different tongues or different practices or different skin colour or different ways of doing parenting or you know, and we might like some things and dislike other things, but we are one in Christ. I think this is the hope not just of the church, but of the future of our planet. I think it's never before been so obvious, so obvious that the world needs to be saved and saved by this truth. The theory of everything, it's in Christ. He breaks down the wall. Now I don't know if I've made that compelling enough. I'm happy to talk more. There's so many more things I want to say, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do know us. Indeed, you know us more thoroughly than we know ourselves. We thank you that you accept us. Indeed, you've seen the worst that we can throw. We've thrown it at you and still you love us and accept us more than we love and accept ourselves. And we ask that we might take seriously your love and acceptance, both for us and for all people, that we might live it, demonstrate it, not trying to do it, but actually doing it because we are transformed by the power of your Spirit to live to the glory of your name. Amen.